Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you, the great creator, have become our savior. And today, Lord, we want to love you and adore you and commit ourselves anew to your purpose for our lives. We thank you, God, that you are working. And we pray, Father, that even when we can't see what you are doing, that you will teach us to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. It's a great morning to worship. Thank you, Alan, choir. This is great, great worship. We are grateful for the chance to serve together. And uh, I read this week Augustine who said, When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. I wonder if we trust the truth. Introductory chemistry at Duke University has been taught for about a zillion years by a professor whose name is Dr. Bonk. I'm not making this up. The students affectionately call that class Bonkistry, and they love to take Dr. Bonk. And there were a group of those students some years ago who were doing very well in the class, four young men to be exact. They had done well on the labs and the quizzes and the tests, and their final was coming up, but they had an invitation from some friends up at the University of Virginia to join them for a fun weekend. And they waited for a while and then decided they were going to go up to UVA. So they went up there and uh, they enjoyed the weekend. In fact, they enjoyed the weekend a little bit too much. And uh, they didn't really get back in time to study. In fact, they just made it back in time for the test itself. And they thought on the way and said, we better not take that test because we're not ready for it. So they devised a plan and they met the professor as he was coming out of the class after the test and said, we are so sorry We missed your test this morning. He said, you did miss my test. They said, well, the problem was we had a flat tire on our way back from University of Virginia. And so we we weren't able, we couldn't get help for a long time. And we wondered if we could take the test at a later date. And he pondered it. He looked at them closely and said, okay, tomorrow, same time, be here. I'll give you the test. They, They studied hard. They came back. They thought this is a coup. And they arrived in time to take the test. He sent them to four different rooms with their test booklets And the first question on the test was some simple question worth five points out of a hundred about something simple like molarity or something like that. And they said, oh, this is going to be an easy test. And they answered it correctly in their separate rooms. And then when they turned the page, it said for 95 points, which tire was flat? (laughs) And they were sunk. The problem with living a lie is that it leads down roads that we don't want to travel. Gets us in more trouble than we would like to get into. But Jesus said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning as we think about Jesus, who is the way. Jesus, who is the truth. Next week, Jesus, who is the life. And I want to ponder with you in the fourth gospel, the story of Jesus, who is the truth. Would you stand with me as we read God's word, John chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading, oh, with verse 30. And I'll read just a few verses here, and then I'll turn to chapter 14 and read a few more verses in that general vicinity. Trusting Jesus' truth, John 8 Verse 30, even as he spoke, 
many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. And I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I've, I've not come on my own, but He sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the father of lies, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And then at the beginning of chapter 14, end of verse 13, just a few more verses after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and commanded them to love each other, Peter asked, John 13, 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Have you ever imagined what it would be like if everybody always told the truth all the time? In all of its bluntness, in all of its candor, if everybody always told the truth. Would you want to live in that world A movie maker has recently written a script, and it's a movie now called uh, The Invention of Lying. I haven't seen this movie. Please don't ask me to tell you that I'm approving this movie. I'm not. I'm just stating the premise of that movie is that the world was such that everybody always told the truth, and it was a painful world because people said things that were true but hurtful. And then one day, one man, to protect the feelings of another person, told a lie. And it actually helped that person not to feel bad. And so it started a revolution of lying. And everybody lied to each other all the time. And I don't know how the movie ends because I haven't seen the movie. But when I heard the premise, I thought, actually, the exact opposite of that happened. About 2,000 years ago, we lived in a world, our ancestors, forefathers, lived in a world where everybody lied. Where, as Billy Joel said, uh, 
Honesty is such a lonely word, and everyone is so untrue. And in that world where everybody was lying to each other, there came one who actually told the truth. And you remember what happened when he did. Again and again, John tells us, he would start his important statements to people by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, in the NIV, it's, I tell you the truth. And Jesus told the truth to a woman at a well. And said, the Father seeks worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then in chapter 8, there's this dialogue. And Jesus comes to these people who have begun to believe in Him. And He says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And Jesus in chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the truth. I'm the embodiment, the personification, the incarnation of truth. I am truth. If you're looking for truth, I am truth. And then in chapter 16, that very night as he taught them, he said, the spirit of truth will come. Verse 13 of chapter 16, he will lead you into all truth. Then Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17, verse 17, and said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. And in chapter 18, they put the truth on trial. And Jesus testified to the truth and they slapped him. He said, did you slap me for telling the truth? And Pilate asked him, what is truth? They heard the truth, but they couldn't stand it. So they crucified the truth. After they put him on trial, they falsely convicted him, crucified him. But the good news is on the third day, the truth arose from the dead, reminding us that truth wins in the end. See, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but I'll just tell you, the truth will come out. It will come out. And the things Jesus said that we speak in a whisper in our closets will be shouted from the rooftop. The truth will come out. How then shall we live? Jesus says you can trust the truth. I wonder what it would be like if we tried the truth, if we were somehow transformed by the truth, if we translated truth into action in our lives. Wouldn't our world be a different place? Wouldn't they believe in the truth? Wouldn't they come to know the truth who would set the world free? If we don't trust the truth, we are destined to live a lie. Imagine this scenario in chapter 13 where Jesus' best friend lies to him about the fact that he's going to lie about him. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus says to him, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And rises to that crescendo where he says, I am the truth. We can trust the truth. In fact, as I read the the Gospel of John, I realized most everybody who talked to Jesus lied to him. and They they lied to him um, as we lie. They, They lied to him sometimes to protect themselves, like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus just says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right about that. Because you've been married five times and the guy you're living with, we wouldn't call him your husband, would we? And I'm sure her eyes got very big. I can tell you're a prophet, she said. Let's talk about worship. We uh, Samaritans say we worship here. You Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. What do you say, prophet? Jesus said, it doesn't matter where you worship. 
But the Father's looking for worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what she can't do is escape the truth. She can't evade the truth. And so because she can't evade the truth, she comes to trust the truth and she believes in Jesus and she goes back to her village and says, come see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And she believed in him. And many in her village believed in him. But I'm telling you, the vicious cycle of her life would have been replicated again and again and again had she not come to the place that she trusted the truth. This is good advice for for late night talk show hosts who are in a lot of trouble right now. It is well to trust the truth and to live the truth. This group in chapter 8 that we read about, who, who's, they're more interested in tradition than truth. They love the fact that they're Abraham's descendants. They're counting on that, getting them all the way into heaven. And Jesus just takes them to task. They come to a sort of initial faith and he says, great, now stay in my word, remain in my word. Same word, by the way, in my Father's house are many remaining, staying places, rooms. Same word, if you stay in me and my words stay in you, you'll ask what you will, it will be done for you. Same word where he says back in chapter 8, stay in my teachings. The NIV says, hold to my teachings. Stay in them, why? Because if you do, he says, you will know the truth. And, they say, and the truth will set you free. And they say, we've never been enslaved. Now Jesus could have quibbled with them at this point. He could have said, well, there was the fact that your ancestor Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. So there really has been some slavery in your family. Uh, the whole thing about um, the Israelites being in Egypt, that was, wouldn't we call it? He didn't say it, but he could have said that was slavery, wasn't it? And then, you know, the Babylonian captivity that went into the Persian captivity, that went into the Roman captivity. Yeah, you've really been slaves. But he doesn't take that tack with him at all. He just says, you know, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. But I want you to be free. And I'm the son. And I can make you free indeed. And they still want to argue, but Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, really, you don't act very much like him. And they get mad and they say, well, God is our Father. He said, yeah, you, I don't see much resemblance, Jesus says. But I'll tell you who I see. I see a, a vague family resemblance to somebody I used to know. He was an angel in heaven once. And he had this propensity for lying. He was the father of lies. He wanted to kill me back then. He wants to kill me now. You want to kill me. Yeah, you're a lot like the devil. And the thing about the devil is when he lies, he doesn't even have to change dialects. He speaks his native language when he lies. Yeah, you're more like him, Jesus says. This is not a way to win friends, by the way. But Jesus speaks the truth to them and they say, well, we trust Abraham over you. And Jesus says, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. And they continue to live a lie. If we don't trust the truth, we're in trouble. Pilate, what is truth? He doesn't believe there is truth. They say, Alan Bloom says in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, one thing professors know when they walk into a classroom is that almost all of the students would say they believe truth is relative. What's right for you might be wrong for me. What's wrong for you might be right for me. This is sort of the world we live in where there's not a trust in absolute truth. Even evangelicals, only 23% of evangelicals recently said they believe there was an absolute standard of truth. Now, I don't know what you do with John 14, 6 when Jesus says, I am the truth, if you're going to believe that there's no absolute. Isn't he saying, I am the absolute standard of truth? There is a standard and I am he. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am the truth and I want you to live the truth. But Pilate's life goes in a downward spiral after he walks away from Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't trust the truth. And people who don't trust the truth 
don't tell the truth. So a recent survey says 91% of us admit that we lie. 36% of us lie to people we love. It's an interesting statistic. I don't know where you fall in the categories. I just think we could agree this morning. Lying is, is pretty pervasive in our world. I love the story of the professor who said to her students in her trigonometry class, I'm giving you a test today. In fact, I'm giving you two tests. One is a trigonometry test. The other is an honesty test. I hope you pass both of them, but if you only pass one, pass the honesty test. Because engineers notwithstanding, there are a lot of good people in the world who don't understand trigonometry. But there aren't any good people in the world, she said, who don't tell the truth. Jesus says to Peter, when Peter says, I would die for you, Jesus said, no, you really wouldn't, but you would lie about me. In fact, three times tonight, you're going to lie about whether you ever knew me, but don't let your hearts be troubled. There's no, there's no chapter break in Jesus' conversation. He didn't stop and say, chapter 14, verse 1, no. He just said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know you're a liar, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. How how can we trust you? I'm the truth, he says. And Jesus explains, and he says, if you'll stay in my teachings and hold to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've been reading Dallas Willard. He makes my head spin sometimes, but I've been reading him anyway. And he he talks about pastors as keepers of the truth. And he he says, we need to stop talking about what we feel. We act as though Christianity is all about our feelings and our emotions and our experiences. No, it's about what we know. Listen to the Apostle Paul. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I want to know him, Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and the power of his resurrection so that I can attain to it. That's what I want, he says. And the Apostle Paul talks about, in the worst of times, what we know, Romans 8, 28, and we know. Well, what do we know? We know the truth. And the truth about our God is that He is working, that He's working in all things, that He's working them together for good. I don't know how to explain it. It's been a hard week. It's been a sad week, even in our congregation. Just stuff happening. You know what it's like, but, you know, relation, even in my family, relationships breaking up and people, you know, been dating and breaking up and I'm pastor over here and father over here and I'm trying to love everybody, you know, and just relation, not me and Melanie, but I mean, people breaking up and... And I'm just, you know, I've just been sad about it all. You know, I've been walking around humming, you know, what's the glory in living? Doesn't anybody stay together anymore? And if love never lasts forever, what's forever for? You know, I'm just walking around humming this. And then just in the middle of that sadness, I thought, you know what? We know that God is working. We know that He's working all things. We know that He's working all things together for good. We have to believe that. No, we have to know that. So I got home last night and I'm watching football and I get a text message and a really, really good friend of mine, pastor of First Baptist Church in Corsicana, was driving to see his daughter in Waco and got killed in a head-on collision. And I was just like, wow, wow. I was just sort of speechless all evening. You know, football doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. 
except what we know. We know that God is working all things together for good. For whom? For whom is God working all things? You need to know this part of the verse. For those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't, I'm going to be a little blunt this morning, but if I love myself and I'm working out my own purpose, then it's on me. And there's no guarantee about how things are going to work out. This verse is not for me if I'm in love with Dwayne and I'm working out Dwayne's purpose for Dwayne's life. But if I love God and I am working for his purpose, then what I know is he's working all things together for good because we love him because, and he's not working to make me feel good because he's not particularly interested in me feeling good, but he would really like for me to be good. And for somebody like me to become good, to be shaped in the image of Jesus Christ, a lot of stuff has to happen to me. And some of it feels good. And some of it feels really bad. But he's working. The word is synergizing it all together for good. And that's what we know. And if we know that and we can live that and put it into practice, the world will certainly take notice as we are set free by that truth from sin. Remember the steroid controversy in baseball? I think the only people who have slept well are the ones who confess they did it. I think everybody else is still carrying a a, a 40 billion pound weight on their shoulders. But I notice people like Andy Pettit who stands up and says, yes, I did it and I shouldn't have done it and I'll never do it again. But by the way, he said, I know the truth. He quoted this verse. And the truth has set me free. Set me free from the penalty of sin. Set me free from the power of sin. Set me free from having to be a lying kind of person who people know that I'm lying every time my lips are moving. I'm set free from that by the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And when we come to believe that, then we come to know. And people say, well, you know, I would believe if I just knew. But no, it doesn't work that way. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I believe first and then I know. And if we will believe in the truth and come to know the truth, the truth will set us free. And we will be free indeed. We will be free to live a different kind of life. So Helmut Tilica said, probably the best thing we can do for Christianity is to avoid telling lies. That would be better, he said, than writing a whole treatise of theology on the doctrine of God. If we would just... Try the truth. Trust it enough to try it. Be transformed by it and translate it into our culture. That would be a good thing. Max Stiles tells about a young man named Andreas from Sweden. Friends were telling him to become a Christian and he had just about decided to do it. And he told Mac, he said, I think I'm going to become a Christian because my friends tell me if I become a Christian, everything will go well for me. And Mac said, that's not exactly right. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you become a Christian, your friends may not like that and they may turn their backs on you. In fact, I know a young person this week to whom that happened. He said, if you become a Christian, you you may lose your job in your country. You might, if you become an outward follower of Christ, that may cost you in terms of your career or your education. If you become a follower of Christ, he said, your own family may turn their backs on you. No, Andreas, I can't tell you if you become a Christian, everything will go well for you. And Andreas said what a lot of people in our culture would say. (laughs) Then why would I become a follower of Jesus? If this doesn't serve my particular interest right now why would I become a follower of Jesus and and he Max Stiles looked at Andreas and said I'll tell you why you should become a follower of Jesus it's not because if you become a follower of Jesus tomorrow when you get out on I-10 the traffic will part for you like the Red Sea that's not the promise not everything's going to go well for you but here it is here's why Max said to Andreas here's why you should believe in Jesus because Jesus is true and I can't tell you a lie 
to get you to believe in the truth. And Andreas trusted the truth and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And more than anything, I want that for you. The one way we can err in the right way, so says Augustine, is by loving the truth too much. Is it possible to love the truth too much? Jesus is the truth. I invite you to trust him this morning and in trusting him to choose to obey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are here in this room. You attend us, you precede us, you follow us, you are with us. We cannot escape the truth. So help us today, I pray, Lord, having come to see who you are, to trust you with our lives because you are trustworthy, because you are true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.